Uh, let's just read that John passage again. It's a quote by Jesus, if you need some help on, on referencing the quote. And he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, as Simeon mentioned, each month we're, we're going to um, pause our series in John for a talk on our, our vision and values. And the reason that you know, we don't do it every week is because we, we want to be going through the scriptures um, week by week, chapter by chapter or section by section, most of the time, because we believe that primarily we want to know who God is. We want to listen to his word just as it is and, and ask who's God. He's, he's our primary um, character in our story. He's our, our primary motivation. But we also want to know who we are because that's really important. Like his grace comes first, but then our response is a very important part of the picture. What's our goal? What's our role in the story of God as a church? And so um, I put this one up on the screen the other week, but a good way to think of it is God's being shapes God's doing, shapes our being, shapes our doing. We want to know who God is and what he does and what he's done so that that might inform who we are and what we do. And so our, our vision statement is that we are, or even, even better, that we would be. It's, it's aspirational, it's a vision, it's going, we hope, we aim for, we pray that we would be a community of disciples following the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. And so today I want to discuss what is a community of disciples. Next year... Um, it's going to be my 10-year high school reunion, the class of 2010, Melbourne High. We'll get together. Um, some people might come. Many, many might not come. I hear that's what happens at reunions. It's good to um, talk to Alan about his 10-year reunion this year, get a sort of an insight into what it might be like. But 10 years after finishing high school, I cannot remember a single question on my practice exams on my sacks, even on the actual exams. Let me think, maybe I can? Like media? I don't think I can. You know, I don't remember, I remember my study scores and my ATAR, but I don't remember any of my friends like I did, you know, on that day when they all came out. And I don't say any of that to diminish those things. Those things are really important. We used to say, honour the work at, at MHS, didn't we, Daniel? Honour the work. But, I said that because 10 years on, what I remember about the class of 2010 is the boys. It was all boys' school, that's why I say that. Um, I remember the boys, like the good times, the, the speech night singing, the Lion King medley, and we all like, you know, 300 of us or year 9s, 10s, 11s and 12s together, 1,200 of us going, Nansagonya Mahakitipaba. And the harmonies come in and you know, all our parents are bored but we're loving it. Um, remember the good times. And um, 
What's interesting though is that since then, since 2010, five or six of, of the guys that were in my cohort um, have taken their own life. And loneliness and isolation is epidemic in our generation. We're super connected, but we're super isolated at the same time. Apparently, um, the UK, for all their um, political struggles at the moment, one of the things that's really good they've done recently is installed a, a loneliness minister in Parliament. Such is, is this problem. And so I want to ask, what can the church offer in these dark days of, of loneliness, of isolation, of disconnect? What can we as a church, specifically of young people, what can we do when our generation is facing an epidemic of, of depression and anxiety and, and loneliness? It's, it's becoming increasingly clear whether you, you ask scholars or um, just your average punter on the street, you know, people on the left or the right, people from different cultures. It's becoming increasingly clear that people need thick communities where we're known, where we find belonging. You know, and it's, like I said, it's not new to most cultures. There's the old African proverb which says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. You know, if you, you start looking into to African uh, philosophy and, and, and lots of stuff, it's, it's all based on community. We've been watching the Baychella um, documentary recently and um, you watch this uh, Beyonce documentary, Baychella, and there's these quotes from um, important black figures over the last sort of 100 years and they're all about community, going together, being one. You know, community is the need of the hour and yet community has been the way God has worked since the beginning. Looking at the story of God, I sometimes put this, this, this one up, creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, church and spirit, new creation, the six sort of stages or acts of the story of God. If you look through the story of God, you'll see that, that from creation to Israel to, to Jesus and his disciples to the church, that God worked through community, that God worked through people. So it starts with God, right? The story starts with God and God is community. Uh, if you were here last week for Easter, I mentioned that the early church used to describe God as a dance, perichoresis, the Trinity three in one being this dance that was so interconnected and intimate that you didn't quite know where one um, began and one ended. And, and God is community. He is a community of love. And out of that love, the, the, the Trinity creates the world. And when God creates the world, everything is good until the first thing that's not good. What's the first thing that's not good? That man is alone. And so God makes Adam a helper. And thus humanity begins with Adam and Eve, a marriage, a family, a people. The next stage of the story, um, you know, God says, hey, Adam and Eve, go forth and multiply. Make a family. Make more people. Build community. And, and before you know it, there's, there's hundreds, there's thousands of people. The next stage of the story, God calls Abraham and says, you'll be a father of many nations. 
He says, build a, a family nation, 12 tribes, a people, a kingdom. You know, Jesus calls 12 disciples, like a, a cohort of students, of, of apprentices, to follow him and be his ministry team as he builds the kingdom of God. And then through the disciples, we, we get the church, the people of God, the household of God, the family of God. Community is, is essential in the story of Scripture. It's, it's the backbone of God's story in many ways. You know, the, the main character in the Old Testament after God is not Abraham, it's not David, it's not Moses, it's Israel. The main character in the New Testament after Jesus is not Peter or Paul or John or Lazarus or Mary or Martha. It's the church, the ecclesia, the people of God. And so our vision statement starts as a community of disciples. We can't become like Jesus. We can't enroll in, in the school of discipleship alone. You know, faith is not a solo sport. It's a team game. And individualism permeates our cultural mindset so much these days. You know, we think about ourselves by ourselves. We think about our own lives, our own personal ambitions, our own aspirations, our own acquisitions. You know, we, we worship in many ways the unholy trinity of me, myself and I. And it's, it's not godly to live as an island, but it's also just plain not healthy to live as an island. Like, faith is, is a team game, but life is also a team game. We need one another. And so today what I want to do is, is use three metaphors to, to help us think about what it means to be a community of disciples. The first two are sort of important, like they are important. But then there's the, there's the one primary biblical metaphor for the church. I wonder if you can guess what, what that might be. And you know, the metaphors we use uh, actually shape a lot of, of how we live. If you think of um, having conversations with people you disagree with in, in military metaphors as war, where you've got an opponent who needs to be defeated, maybe their arguments need to be disarmed. If you think about disagreeing with, with another person as a war, that's going to shape how you get along with people you don't agree with. The metaphors we operate in are really important. And so the, the Bible gives us metaphors for church, metaphors for community. The first metaphor is, is that we're a cohort or a class of students or apprentices of Jesus. Think about your, your high school class. You know, mine's the class of 2010, great group of boys. The Greek word for disciples is mathetes, which means student or apprentice. And traditionally, a disciple was someone who, who would train with a rabbi in a group in order to, to become like them, to, to follow them. They'd, they'd enroll in their program with a class, and become like them. So we're to think of ourselves not as individuals who learn from Jesus. Like some of us, and I know because I've done it before many times, we show up to lectures and then we leave, if we're lucky. 
Sometimes, often, we'll just download the sermon online, the, the, the lecture online. It's a bit of a pastor, this guy. Download the lecture online and stay at home. Right? Treat university as a solo game. And it's tempting when it comes to faith to feed your faith on podcasts and books alone. Right? You, you've got all the greatest teachers, the greatest preachers in the world and you can just download Tim Keller. You, know? you can just read, I don't know who we're reading these days, Dallas Willard. He's from the 70s but he's great. Read Willard. But homeschool discipleship, online learning discipleship doesn't cut it. It cannot be the main way that we apprentice under Jesus. It's helpful. Books, podcasts, they're so helpful, but they cannot be the main way we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus in a community of disciples, as a cohort. We become like the people we spend time with. If we spend time just by ourselves trying to to follow Jesus, we'll become like Jesus with our teddy bear. We want to become like Jesus together with each other. We must do this together. And the beautiful thing, though, about Jesus' school of discipleship is that all the other rabbis of the day, they would, they would take enrollment and select the best of the best. Select entry rabbi school. But Jesus, I don't know if you've seen, read about his disciples, but Jesus does not take the cream of the crop. Jesus takes a motley crew of disciples. He calls a motley crew and he's still calling a motley crew today. The invitation to discipleship is to all who are weary and willing, come follow me. So second metaphor, we, we a, a, a cohort doing discipleship or a, a classmate. But we also have a mission. We're a community of disciples following the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. Jesus said, everyone will know, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there's a missional emphasis to what we want to be about. You know, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. We, we looked at that as we sort of opened our vision last month. There's a missional emphasis to to everything we do as as community. And so we learn from Jesus, we receive from him, we become like him as part of a cohort with classmates, but we also obey him and follow his orders and are on mission in the way that an army or a sports team is. Now the church is, is also a hospital for the broken, right? It's a place of compassion, not competition. And so we want to be careful when we think of church using army or sports team metaphors because we don't want to lose that that this place exists for the hurting and the broken, that this is about compassion over competition. But how how this image serves us is that you can't accomplish much on your own. Tomorrow morning, 3 a.m., game one, Milwaukee versus Boston. You can't stop Giannis on your own. You need a team. Let's go Celtics. And as ambassadors of Christ's kingdom, citizens of his city, players on his team, we need one another for mission. We need one another so we can love each other, so the world might know his love. You know, in 
that reading, John 13, and then John 15, straight after, he says something similar. You cannot show that kind of love without doing it with someone. It's impossible. You can't be a friend of Jesus if you're not doing it with friends. The world will know him through our love for each other. So we're like classmates in discipleship and we're like teammates on mission. But the primary metaphor for for the church, for the community of disciples in Scripture is is family. The people of God, the family of God, we're called the household of God, the bride of Christ, sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters with one another. And in a world longing for belonging, in a generation of young people that don't have fathers, that's us in a culture of isolation, loneliness and disconnect, we need to operate like family more than ever. I hate to say it, but many churches these days run more like businesses selling spiritual goods and services or events with attendees consuming good content, nice concepts, maybe a great concert. I don't say that to bash them. A lot of them do a lot of good stuff. But I say that to name the temptation. Because when you, when you measure success with the world's metrics, you often get a church that looks like that. Good content, nice concert, great content, spiritual goods and services. You know, last week, it was, it was Easter week and one of the big things on my to-do list was, was make social media accounts for Embrace. Let's launch it, Embrace Instagram. Let's launch it, Embrace Facebook. Let's tell the world. Let's put photos up you know, of our, our cool A-frame and posters and hot cross buns on the bus. And, and I think it was last Tuesday. I just had like five or six occurrences through the day. I was praying. I was reading. I was in a conversation I felt God just tapping me on the shoulder saying, hey, don't start the social media account. That was weird, you know, because I'd already like planned to do that. I'd said I was going to do that. You know, it's, not, it's sort of nice for God to say, cross something off your to-do list. But in a way, it's sort of weird as well because it seemed something good to do. Everyone's doing it. We've all got social medias. But, but God really was sort of communicating to me, I felt, don't market this community as a product. You don't need to market church as an event or a company. This is family. We are small. We, we would like to grow. In some, in some respects, we need to grow. But we need to grow as a family, not as a program, not as a product, not as a business or event. We need to grow based on family principles, not on business principles. And so if we're family, if the main metaphor for the the church is, is family, then this means some things. It means care. It means depth. It means intimacy, love, service. Family means your flaws are exposed. It means you don't always show your best self, show the best, hide the rest. We don't do that in family. Family means you serve without 
getting paid back. Sometimes it means you say hard things. The New Testament is full of these exhortations, these one another's. Love one another. Encourage one another. Be humble towards one another. Have compassion on one another. Live in peace with one another. Greet one another. Be sympathetic. Confess to one another. Don't pay back wrong to one another. Accept one another. Bear in love with one another. Build up one another. Serve. Agree. Do good. Be devoted. Be like-minded. Spur to love. Don't grumble. Forgive. Don't lie. Live in harmony. Don't judge. Instruct. Speak songs to. Pray for. Don't slander. Be gentle. Spur to good deeds. Be patient. Don't deprive. Honour. Be kind to. Have evil concern. Don't provoke. Be like-minded, do good and have the mind of Christ towards one another. You can Google one another's New Testament and find all these different graphics or you can read the whole New Testament and, and find them yourself. There are a lot of one another's that the Scriptures call us to, to treat each other, to be family towards each other. And so if church is family, this means that it's not just your personal relationship with Jesus. It's not just your spirituality. It's more than me. We're part of something bigger. The gospel is not just vertical, right? It's not just me and God. Quiet times are so important. We're about to start the prayer course. The vertical relation... Is that vertical? That's horizontal. No, it's vertical. I'm bad with my dimensions. The horizontal relationship is, is where everything flows from, but it's Jesus is multidimensional. He's horizontal, he's vertical, he's 3D, he's 4D. I don't know if there's 5D, maybe Adventure's Endgame is, is 5D. I don't know, I was too busy focusing on the Taylor Swift launch um, on, on April 26th instead of the, uh, the Avengers. But um, Jesus is, is all dimensions. The family of God reaches all places in all angles and so we must learn how to live in the family of God. You know, we all come from different family backgrounds, family of origins. There's strengths and weaknesses to our upbringings, to our family life. But a lot of what discipleship is about is relearning how to do family in the family of God. How do we live like a family in this new family with our new DNA in Christ? So some things I think we need to learn are how to encourage one another. We do this thing um, when we, we have Bucks weekends with, with some of my mates and, and a lot of us are Christians and Christians' Bucks, week, Bucks weekends are the best because they're a lot of fun but they're fully appropriate as well. Um, and on our Christian Bucks weekends, after we've sort of you know, pelted the buck with eggs and made them you know, wrestle everyone at the beach or whatever, we, we go around the circle and we, we encourage the buck and we encourage the guy who we're, we're celebrating. And then we write on their bodies, you know, tattoo um, with permanent marker. And no one's got a tattoo pen out yet. You'll be glad to know, but let's, let's not do that ever. But um, we, we draw on each other and to encourage one another. And it's cheesy and weird, but it's really cool to, to just encourage each other. You know, how can we emotionally support one another? How can we be open? How can we cry with one another? I think we're really good at eating with one another. We're great at laughing with one another. But what would it look like to cry with one another? 
Rawness and vulnerability might not be familiar to your family experience, but in the family of God, that's something we've got to learn. You know, being family doesn't, doesn't mean that we're just, we're just nice to each other, we just socially prefer each other. Because you don't choose your family. We've all heard that one before. And, and in the family of God, even though you can choose which church you go to uh, in many extents, you're born into, you're reborn into the family of God. So let's learn to, to encourage, cry with, Let's learn to share with one another. I love the, the culture of sharing at Embrace. I think it's someone's birthday today and I saw them just you know, walking in with um, like goodies and I was like, man, Embrace people are generous. That could be awkward if that's for like later tonight or something. Maybe it is. But, um, but like that, the culture here of shouting everyone a meal on your first paycheck like, that is family, man. That's cool. Whoever brought that up is a legend. Sharing with one another. The, the early church, you read in, we read in Acts, just before Vincent read Acts 2, just after Pentecost, they had everything in common. They shared resources. So we can share resources. We can share information. You know, they, they, they committed to fellowship with one another. And one thing we're really good at is committing to fellowship with each other. You know, we have a, a night off MSG at Embrace and what's everyone do? Gets together anyway and plays badminton and eats food. Like, there's no such thing as a night off at MSG. It's just a night to do something different but we still do it together. Like, that's sweet. I, like, can't keep control. Sometimes I mute the WhatsApp group, guilty, because I'm like, there's too much, just for like eight hours, just an eight-hour mute. <laughs> so I mute because there's so much organisation going on. That's so great because we're hanging out. We're committing to fellowship together. Just the eight-hour mute, nothing longer. The fellowship commitment is, is amazing here. Exercising together. But let's always leave room for growth, right? What if we started eating together in each other's homes? Hospitality. What if we started eating together with other people that are strangers to the community? What if we started exercising our souls with each other through the week? Mentoring's coming. But what if you started exercising your soul together without being prompted or provoked? Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I don't think it's on the screen. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So our love for each other is our witness to the world. This is not just for us. And so one way I, I think we can grow is what if we take this beautiful family? What if we take this beautiful community that we have where we feel belonging? You know, I, I think I speak for most of us. If you don't feel belonging here, I'm sorry, and we want to get better at that. But I think a lot of us here feel like family, feel like there's belonging. But what if we, we took that and, and had a posture of, of welcome, a posture of openness? We want to achieve this blend of intimacy and invitation or inclusion. Because in the Bible times, see, the family metaphor, where it breaks down is that family today is often about having a big fence and you're sort of, you know, 2.4 children or whatever it is and your dog, you know, don't need the dog. Keep them on a leash. 
by the way, anyone? Went running today. There's a lot of dogs off leashes this morning. Disappointing. But, but in Bible times, in Bible times, families was not just 2.4 children and a dog, leash or leashless. Family was like generations. Servants, slaves, workers, like the whole shebang. That was the family unit that the Bible uses as the metaphor. One big family, open, welcoming, yet intimate, yet invitational. How might we at Embrace be a community that, that is open enough that someone else might find belonging, find family, find home in Jesus Christ in his household? Now we, we had someone new the last couple of weeks. What if we can be a community that welcomes her in? She's not here today, so that's why I can say it. No, she's listening to the, the recording and she'll get embarrassed. But hi, Julia, if you're listening. <laughs> um, you know, we have, we have Phoebe and Eric who, who are in um, the Chinese congregation and are both in high school. How can we be a community, a family that welcomes them in, that's warm to them? Maybe some of us even need a, to roll up here at, at like 11.45 grab some amazing pandan treats and then hang out with Phoebe and Eric for a bit. Like, well done to the Sunday school leaders who do that. But, but let's be a family that welcomes people. What about the people who we met last week? How could we be a place where we welcome them, the people we do board games nights with? Maybe just your friends. Let's be a community. People are looking for belonging. People are more isolated than, than we realise because people won't admit it. But terrible stuff happens because people are so disconnected. Let's be a family that opens up our doors and our arms. I just want to finish by um, saying a few things about us as a community. Um, You know when you stop noticing things because you're so familiar with them? Like I'm the pastor here and I'm, I'm the newest person at Embrace. And even I've stopped noticing things. Like when I first came, I was like, well... This could use a paint job. Now I'm like, I like it. Sort of 90s, like retro <laughs> carpet tiles. Yeah, I want some of them for my own home. But like not, ev- I, like not everything is just super familiar to me. I still notice some things. And I just thought as a as pastor, I want to just say some things about this community that maybe you haven't noticed. At Embrace the commitment to the community is super high. Like we're batting, of our like people who are part of our community, we're batting like 90% most Sundays on attendance. That's unheard of if you talk to any church leaders around Australia, that we'd get like 90% of our community, 95% every Sunday. That we'd have like almost everyone in small groups is amazing Churches are like 40% of people in small groups would be a great goal. We've got like everyone in a small group. The commitment to one another, the commitment to God, the commitment to community is super strong. So I want to say well done. And you've grown up here so you you don't realise that it's not like that everywhere. That churches, communities don't spend as much time together, that don't eat as much together, that aren't as committed. Like well done, keep going. We want to keep hanging out, eating, being devoted to fellowship and to breaking bread and to sharing with one another. But some growth areas, if you like, some ways 
I want to see us grow more. And I don't say this like as a pastor, like to you. I say this as like the leader of us. Some ways I want us to grow is that I think we could be a bit more open, we could be a bit more accessible if we were a bit less familiar with each other. Sometimes we can use church as family as an excuse for over-familiarity. You know how like brothers and sisters just diss each other out all the time? Like we don't really need that in church. Like there can be, I understand like a slight healthy amount, that's, we're friends. But we can be over-familiar with our language. We can be over-familiar with our touch. Sometimes we're a bit too touchy, I wonder, at Embrace. I don't wonder. I think sometimes we're a bit too touchy. I wonder if that's not helpful for someone who's new, if they don't feel as welcome. So, so one way I just want to encourage us, let's honour each other by not using family as an excuse for over-familiarity, but using family to do all these beautiful things really know each other, really love each other and yet still be a place that would feel comfortable for someone new to step into. You know, if, the, if, the board, if, if PJ brought his board games friends on a Sunday, make them feel comfortable. How, how could they feel comfortable? I think another way we can grow is we could be more vulnerable with one another. We live in this image-obsessed culture where you've got to be cool. You've got to look good. And in family, we get that you don't have to be cool. You can look like a dag in front of your mum or dad or brother or sister. And I think a lot of us are comfortable to look like a dag in some ways. But what if we were vulnerable enough to take risks so that God might even surprise us? Like, what if, if you felt God calling you to, to, you know, join Lockie as the only person who lifts his hands up in worship and took that risk? Like, you might look like a bit of a dag, but maybe that's something you want to do. Maybe you want to pray for someone by, by laying hands on them. Maybe you want to ask someone how you can pray for them just out of the blue, like a bit awkward, like, hey, I want to pray for you. How can I be doing that? Maybe you want to ask someone how their soul is or how their their faith is. Take some risks. It's okay to be awkward. It's okay to not be cool because we are family. Like because we are committed to one another, because we're family, we can be awkward and that's okay. And I think if, if we grow in that area, we'll actually grow in confidence to bring others in as well. That we might not have you know, the coolest building or the, the trendiest worship music or the, you know, the greatest technology or, or graphics or lectern or speaker. But people aren't looking for cool concerts, for cool concepts. Like, Rod Laver Arena is down the road. If people want that, they'll go there. TED Talks are on YouTube. If people want that, they'll go there. People need community. And so I wonder if we can be vulnerable enough with each other that we might become vulnerable enough with friends to go, come, are you ready?
this is a family I'd love to invite you into. And maybe God will surprise us. Finally, I've been sitting on this one for a while. I don't say this in judgment. I say this in love. I think as a family, we could use our phones less in church. Because the idols of our age, and technology is one of the big idols of our age, the idols of our age, whether it's technology, busyness, image, productivity, information, all of the idols draw us further inward, draw us further away from others and towards isolation and loneliness. And so I wonder if we can resist the idols of our age by choosing community, by choosing to be awkward enough to to not go on our phones at the end of a service, but just sitting there waiting for someone to chat to us. Like, that's pretty uncomfortable. But then the challenge is, for the rest of us, what if we didn't look at our phones because we looked up and worked out who we could engage with, who we could love and serve? I'm not, not putting a phone ban on or anything crazy like that. We all have things we need to attend to. But I wonder what family life might look like if for the 15 minutes after this we don't really touch the phones and we engage with one another. We need each other. We can't do this alone. Church is more than a lecture. Christianity is more than just your personal relationship with God. We're a community of disciples on mission together, doing discipleship together, a part of something bigger, the family of God. So love one another. Jesus is the centre of our church, but family is, is the starting metaphor for our church, the starting point of our vision, a community of disciples. So may God lead us further into family and community as a church so that we might grow as disciples of Christ together and that the world might know God's love through our love for each other. Amen.